Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Is Kubrick your favourite director, John? No, not my favourite, but I really, really like him. I guess it's it must be Steven Spielberg then, no? Paul Thomas Anderson. Good choice. I'm going to pretend I know who that is. <laughs> Magnolia, uh, Boogie Nights, Boogie The Master, There Will, there be, will blood. be Blood. Okay. I, I like the Coen brothers. Does that work? <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah is sure. Is that okay? <laughs> right. that's as, as as highbrow as I get Dan your favourite director I don't know why we're talking about this but go on big, Rich, big Richard Linklater fan personally oh, oh come nice. on yeah. nice now we're talking Dan yeah. three yeah, Linklater's yeah. fans here oh lovely I've got a before sunrise poster oh. on, on the wall of this room actually yeah my fur, my favorite. No, I, my fa- amazing, my favorite is actually the second one, Before Sunset. That's my favorite. Yes, it, that is better actually. Yeah, the first one's a bit cheesy actually. I watched it recently. Yeah, I haven't watched it recently, not to ruin the 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 impression it got me. You know, uh, <laughs> I I wasn't quite into those ones uh, as much. Sorry, but he is behind maybe my second favorite movie of all time, in Dazed and Confused. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say School of Rock, <laughs> which, which is an amazing film, by the way. Don't get me it wrong is. about that. It yeah. is really good. Yeah. <laughs> School of Rock. <laughs> no, School of Rock is not my second favourite movie of all time. It's Dazed and Confused. What's your first favourite movie of all time? I think probably Annie Hall. Oh, okay. Even though uh, Woody Allen is... Uh... I know. Hashtag cancelled. Yeah, I know. That's yeah. <laughs> rightly so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. No, I love Annie Hall as well, to be honest. So yeah. uh, you can separate the movie from the allegations. Yes. Let's see. Okay, Joanna Kwan, you gotta, you're gonna have to give your favorite movie now. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Okay. Did not, I, did <laughs> I didn't not, get the reception no, I was looking for. No, I did not expect that answer. <laughs> I thought it was going to be like Jurassic Park or something like that. <laughs> Dan? Mine is uh, Office Space. Have you ever seen that? Office Space? It's a bit, no. of, a, bit of a, perhaps a strange one. It's uh, Mike Judge, the guy who did Beavis and Butthead, but it's like a live action movie about a guy who's like works in an office and hates it and uh, decides to get out of there. So I would recommend anyone to go watch that. It's very funny and just really cool movie, yeah. So it, it doesn't in any way mirror your life, Dan, no? Not at all, no. <laughs> Should no, Ian be worried? <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway... Joining me, Ema Court, on today's One Football Podcast is Dan Burke. Hello. And Joanna Bueno. Hello. Uh, Dan, once again, let's. Uh, you have your own podcast. We should give it a plug. Well, I am in, uh, you know, it's, it's a Premier League podcast. I am in awe of the Premier League. That, let's just say that, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's not my podcast. It's all about the Premier League. And it comes out? On a Tuesday, usually. Yeah. Uh, Joanna, you don't have your own, I'm afraid. But soon you will. I do have my own in Portuguese in case, you know, maybe your listeners want mm -hmm. to try it out. (laughs) No, that doesn't count. Uh, But yes, soon I will. That's true. Uh, So Joanna is going to be taking over this podcast while I take uh, 
an, an extended break, let's say. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to be off for a little while. Uh, Joanna's going to step in. So uh, it's Tuesdays for Dan's podcast. It's Wednesday for the women's podcast with Angelina Kelly. Uh, the the feed remains the same. So too does the email address. If you want to get in touch, ask any questions, send any comments, uh, tell us how terrible our movie tastes are, as podcast at onefootball.com. So we've had another round of Champions League action with Juve v Porto, Barca v PSG, Dortmund Sevilla, Liverpool, Leipzig. Uh, let's start with Juve and their exit. And if Twitter is to be believed, and I don't know why it wouldn't be, uh, this was a very popular exit. Dan, were you happy that Juventus crashed out? Uh, I don't know, really. I mean, is it sort of some Ronaldo schadenfreude that people are exercising here? I don't really... Uh I have nothing against Juventus personally. I mean, I know oh, they're okay. a bit of a sort of hated club in, in Italy for their kind of dominance and stuff, aren't they? But um, yeah, I took took no great pleasure from it, if I'm being perfectly honest. Okay, Joanna, were you delighted that Juventus crashed out or did you to cry? I think we're all a bit delighted when an underdog beats a favourite, right? Ah. So that was the thing. And I think on top of it, the favourite being Juventus had a little extra touch because of that, because they're very dominant, so... I think. I mean, I. In my case, I. I think I don't really like Juventus because they're very dominant, and I don't like the football they play because I think it's very, very defensive. They only win one nil. They win the title league like seven years in a row by beating one nil every match. So <laughs> I think it's a bit boring. So not yeah, I was. And on top of that, it was a Portuguese club, so that's even better. Not that you're stereotyping Italian football or anything. No, like not that. at all. <laughs> okay, I have a big finger of blame, and I want to point it at someone. Who should it be? You've written Demiral. You've written Demiral in your notes. I've written written Demiral in my notes. Is it Demiral or should it be somebody else? I thought, I mean, I I felt a bit sorry for him there because I I hate those um, sort of penalties that are given away where um, an attacker is just clever enough to just get in front of the defender as they go to play the ball in the box and sort of fall over them and draw the foul. I mean, I don't really know what a defender is supposed to do there. You know what I mean? It's just a bit, it's like a bit of a anomaly really so you're you're saying Demerale's okay oh I think he's a very good player yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> do you want to did you want to blame somebody be, be a no. bit more vindictive than Dan no, being? I don't I don't think it was to blame on someone in particular I think the whole team didn't really play quite well but I think maybe what you were really on Twitter has a lot to bl- to do with blaming Cristiano Ronaldo turning his back on the on the f- on the free kick something like that maybe okay well, let's go okay let's get straight to it then uh, we won't we won't make Demiral <laughs> our fall guy then uh, Fabio Capello was pretty angry with Ronaldo afterwards uh, principally for his actions in the wall um, yeah I mean it it seemed yeah it, I guess he is to blame for it no you should stand straight. Yeah, you, you need you need bravery in that situation, don't you? You need leaders, and that's what Ronaldo is supposed to be in, to turn your back on it like that and let it go through was, was pretty criminal. And also, like this sort of trend that's developing of, of teams having like a draft excluded behind the wall to stop the yes. ball going under it. Like, where was yes. that? If that was that, there, this this doesn't happen, does it? Yeah. This is exactly what I thought watching the match, Then You just took the words from my mouth. I was watching the match, and I thought aren't they going to put someone laying down behind the, the wall and nothing happened and then the goal. Yeah. And then I was actually watching it on Dutch television and when the match ended and the, you know, the commentators, the pundits got in, it was the first thing they mentioned. Like every single team now puts a guy <laughs> behind the wall. What happened here? 
Two things I would say to this, I didn't know that was called a draft excluder. So that's, uh, I, I would have always just called it the thing you put in front of the door. But draft excluder makes sense. I see where you're going with it. <laughs> um, also, when did this become a thing? I noticed it recently in Serie A a bit more, but I didn't know when it started becoming a, a, a greater thing. Isn't- it's fairly new. I would say the last two or three years, Tops yes. seems to have been doing this. I can't recall anyone else doing it, but maybe someone can let us know that, uh, of an example from earlier than that. Yeah, it became very popular the last two or three years. I think even more the last this season and the last one. But if you remember it quite well, I mean, Ronaldinho used to shoot free kicks all the time under the wall. So I guess people learned at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it fair to say that this Cristiano Ronaldo experiment uh, that Juventus have tried over the past few seasons has been a failure? Well, he's got. I looked over. He's got ninety-two goals in one hundred and twenty-one games. So he's failure. won two, two Serie A titles, two Super Coppers. I mean, yeah, Absolute it, failure. <laughs> it's, a, it's a failure in as much as they signed him to help them win the Champions League, and that hasn't happened, has it? Um, which they must be disappointed about. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't use the word. I, I saw the word like backfired used to describe it. I wouldn't really use that because I think it was always worth a punt getting him. Like, you know, is there a better way to spend a hundred million pounds in football than buying Cristiano Ronaldo? I don't know if there is really. And I think he's been let down by the club in terms of their sort of organisational policy, their managerial policy, particularly. Like, you know, they they hired Maurizio Sarri for one season and then sacked him after winning the Scudetto. Like, I don't really, I don't really get that. And then they've hired the, an experienced manager to take over and I don't think they've really built a great team around Ronaldo either while, while he's been there and they've now been knocked out by Ajax, Leon, and Porto in the Champions League I mean that, you've got to be furious with yourself for that haven't you really if you've gone out to a better team fair enough but all three of those teams you know should have been beatable really no disrespect to those three teams but Juventus really should have been beating them mm, totally yeah uh, Joanna you also of the opinion that he was being a complete failure and that he should give up football right away <laughs> no, not at all. I, I agree with that. I mean, you can't say he's a complete failure. He's got great numbers. Uh, he's a fantastic player. But we have seen recently some very dominant teams in Europe not being able to renovate, to, you know, uh, try a different generation, to uh, change the squads in the way that they should, like Real Madrid, Barcelona. And mm. I think Juventus is a great example of that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, if you're relying on Aaron Ramsey, I know that's being. Good. <laughs> um, the what? What next for Ronaldo? Do we see him staying at Juventus? I know he's got a contract until I think it's next year. I would imagine so. Yeah, I don't. Okay. I don't really see. Uh, I mean, I don't really see what his next move would be. Whether I mean, I don't really think Manchester United are going to come back in for him anytime soon. I think they they've probably sort of moved on from that now. Uh, maybe Finally. he goes to. Yeah, maybe he goes to America and plays for Inter Miami or something like that. But you think he'd probably, you know, he's he's still in great shape, isn't he? So you think he'd uh, wait a couple more years before he, before doing that. So if I was him, I'd stay at Juventus and have another crack at it. I don't really know uh, what else he would, what else, where else he could go. Okay, uh, Inter Miami, of course, he could hook up with Phil Neville. Yeah, which is a draw for any player, isn't it, really? Yeah. <laughs> it's what they all want to do. Yeah. Um, where do both of you stand when it comes to uh, Pepe? I really like him as a defender, I have to say, but he got a bad reputation because he's very rough and he's very <laughs> aggressive. So I have to say that, yeah, I don't enjoy his fouls and his lack of, I don't know, fairness sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he did do a great match. He's 38 years old. 
38 years old. He had a great uh, time in Real Madrid. He was one of the key players in that Real Madrid. And actually, that Real Madrid was very inferior to Barcelona at that time. And he is the one that, okay, playing a football on the Mourinho that is not the Real Madrid football or the Real Madrid, the football we expect from Real Madrid was very, very defensive and tactical. But he was the one that managed to neutralize uh, Barcelona and Messi at several classicos. So... Ne neutralize is a great word to say, <laughs> <laughs> to use right there. Yeah, so I have to say that he, he's a good defender. He had a, a quite a good evening and... Yeah, 18 clearances, three tackles completed, three interceptions, 88% pass completion rate. That's not bad. He's a nasty bastard as well, isn't he? I think I think uh, teams need a player like that. I, there was a good interview with uh, Ben Foster, uh, the Watford goalkeeper, talking about when he you know used to play for Man United and stuff uh, earlier in the week, and and he was talking about like Diego Costa and Luis Suarez players he played against who were just horrible, and he was like, "But I like those players. They're the winners. They're the competitors." And I think every every team needs a Pepe. Mm. He's the sort of player who you hate uh, on opposition teams, but if, yeah. if he if he plays for your team, you're absolutely delighted to have him on. Exactly, it's sort yeah. of a living embodiment of shithousery uh, <laughs> uh, will Pirlo make it to the end of the season Dan? I mean I would imagine so yeah I mean I don't, I don't know what they expected from him really I, I had a suspicion when they hired him that he was maybe a bit of a, a sort of stopgap appointment on the off chance that, that Pep Guardiola might leave City at the end of the season and you know Guardiola isn't going to leave City at the end of the season so I think they've sort of been left uh, you know hanging a little bit by, by that decision there so it wouldn't surprise me if they did get rid of him at the end of the season. Um, you know, the, the, they're used to not winning the Champions League. They're not used to not winning the, the Serie A titles. So it looks very unlikely that they're going to do that now. Um, so if he does end, end the season having won nothing, I don't really see what sense they would be in keeping him. But then, you know, who do they go for next? What's the plan next? It's, this is the problem with Juventus. They don't really seem to have much of a long-term plan. Allegri's available. They could always go for him. Yeah, they could. They could get him back. I mean, why not? Yeah, what's what's the worst that could happen there? Really, yeah. good Serie A experience knows what to do. Yeah. Um, do you want to? How far can Porto go? Oh, I'm not sure they're going to go very, very far. I mean, no. we still have to wait to see the other teams coming out of the the round of 16. But you have Manchester City, Real Madrid, Bayern. Uh, it, you have really tough opponents. So I'm not really sure they can go much further than that. Uh, you have to remember that, you know, Porto is very dominant in the Portuguese league but this season they're 10 points behind Sporting and they're not even 10 points behind Benfica who is usually who they're fighting against they're behind Sporting they're doing a very terrible season uh, domestic season they're gonna bet all they have in the Champions League so let's hope that that might make a difference but when it comes to the squad and the football they play they're a bit, a bit behind of their opponents let's put it that way Okay uh, speaking of Juventus and the Champions League can anyone explain what this uh, proposed new format will be oh god then <laughs> please yeah okay well I, I was reading about this yesterday so it's it's uh they're talking about this swiss system which apparently was something that was first used in a, in a chess tournament in zurich over 100 years ago oh wow um so the group stage will be will be so, so it's going to be a 36 team champions league and the group stage will be each team um playing 10 group matches each and then they would sort of you know have a league table at the end of that and the top 16 teams in that league table would, would advance to the knockout stages oh, now i hate i hate the sound of that because i already, I already hate it. yeah i I hate the, the group stages it is in the Champions League. I think it's so boring. And I, I actually think the Champions League doesn't really get going until the quarterfinal stage. So to add even more kind of like group matches just seems 
awful to me. But you know, on, on the on the plus side, maybe if it sort of bins the European Super League idea for a bit longer, maybe it's not the worst thing in the world. Maybe it, it will satisfy these these clubs a little bit. Um, it, it was Andrea Agnelli who was talking about this, the Juventus president, and he was saying that they want the the balance to change a little bit, and they and they want the the, the season to be sort of one third European games and two thirds domestic. Um, and then there's all this other nonsense talk of them. Uh, Champions League clubs not being able to buy players from each other, which is, it just seems like surely that's illegal. I don't, (laughs) it is illegal. It has to be illegal. It must be, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, and, uh, and and the crazy one that he came out with as well was this talk about, um, potentially selling, uh, pay per view rights for the last 15 minutes of game. So you could just sort of like, buy buy, buy a quick stream for the last 15 minutes. And he was, he was saying like, oh, um, you know, in in golf, people only, only tune in for the last six holes. And it's like, yeah, but this isn't golf, mate. Like, there's, there's loads of football games where the last 15 minutes nothing happens so but then I, w- I was thinking about it last night like I'll ask you two this if let's imagine Barcelona went 3-1 three, three up against PSG last night would mm. you have paid to watch the last 15 minutes of that game and if so what is the most you would have paid yes I would have if paid it, if it's one euro like on an app like one football to just go bang and watch the last 15 minutes would you pay one euro for that one football sounds like a good app you should go download that anyway. yeah totally yeah. Uh, <laughs> would I pay one yeah 100% I would actually you- I think the 15 minutes is a genius idea because yeah, yeah because as a, as a man with other responsibilities, uh, you know, I, I don't always have time to watch every single uh, game that's going on. Mm. Um, and if I see, if I can see in an app like One Football that there's <laughs> that this course, <laughs> you know, that, that it's you know looking like an interesting game, and I say, oh hey, a euro last fifteen minutes, yeah. watch it, watch it on my phone, yeah. I think I would. Yeah, it's, when I first heard that, it sounded preposterous. But the more you think about it, the more you think, oh, maybe it makes sense. I think they're probably trying to monetize the kind of like illegal streaming a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Like they think if we can just get a few people to just to pay a, a tiny bit of money for this, then it all goes in our pockets and it's lovely, isn't it? So I think it's a better idea than that 16 group or thing nonsense. Yeah, I think, but I think, that, I think that is definitely happening. So like, you know, get used to that because, uh, yeah. Okay, Joanna, would you pay a euro for 15 minutes on one football? I would because it's only one euro, but I would expect those 15 minutes to be, you know, Liverpool, Barcelona, Barcelona, (laughs) PSG. And if it would be something like Liverpool, Leipzig, then I would be very pissed. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That is true. And a a 16-team group stage? Is that that right, Dan? Did I get that right? It's two group stages Uh, with 16 teams. Is that right? Yes. Uh, No. Two group stations, but what's half of 36? Hang on, my maths is rubbish. Oh, 18. 18, 18. yeah. Oh, that's 18. even worse. Yeah. What's going to happen to the domestic season? I don't know exactly, really. This, this yeah, who okay. knows? Because right. <laughs> he was always talk- he was also saying that like t- twenty teams is too many teams for a league. It's sort of the, the competitiveness is a little bit unbalanced. And I, I think mm-hmm. he might have a point there. I think because like obviously in Germany they have eighteen, don't they? And I think mm-hmm. it's probably slightly better. But I don't know. We'll see what. But at the end of the day, what it doesn't matter what we think, does it? They're going to do what they want. <laughs> and we just, and we'll we'll just go along with it because we love football. So it's unfortunately. Really. Well, you're telling me Agnelli is not listening to this podcast and basing his decisions on it. He could not care less. Okay, <laughs> Joanna, are you a fan of it? Uh, I have to agree with Dan. I'm not a fan of the Champions League group stage. You only have one, two, maybe three matches per season that are actually interesting, and it starts getting interesting in the knockout stage, and sometimes not even in the round of 16, like Dan said. So if it makes it more interesting, then yeah, sure, why not? But it doesn't look like that's the solution. Okay. (laughs) 
Elsewhere, uh, Erling Haaland has scored 20 goals, 14 Champions League appearances. The quickest player has a uh, quickest a player has ever reached 20 goals in this competition, and in 10 fewer appearances than the previous record holder. Anybody know who that is? Uh, Harry Kane. It is it? Harry Kane. Very good. Yeah. Uh, the big question I have from this is: Do you think it's uh, he's proof that uh, Area Fifty One exists and there is life on other planets? <laughs> <laughs> it does. It does seem otherworldly what he's doing right now, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. he's pretty yeah. insane. He's he like he's like one of the monsters from Space Jam. I've never seen Space Jam. <laughs> oh, come on, Ian. Watch There's Space Jam. There's a second Space Jam coming out. There is, right? yeah. I'm well yeah. excited about it, yeah. yeah. I did. I watched that Michael, ja- that Michael Jordan documentary, and I think that's the most I've seen of Space oh, okay. Jam. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it has that awful R. Kelly song, too. Uh, okay, <laughs> did anybody notice? We're going to talk about the, the second goal celebration in a second. Uh, but did anybody notice how he celebrated his first one? Did anybody notice anything unusual he, about this? He picked up Royce, right? Right. Yeah. Did you notice? Did you did you notice how much bigger Haaland is than <laughs> <Yeah>. Royce? <laughs> it, it, looked, it looked like he was picking up a ball boy. Uh, it really did, and and also I think Royce was very surprised, so he didn't really move a lot, so he right. looked a bit scared. It was really funny. <laughs> I think it was like because it was nice play from Royce that, but it wasn't like exceptional. And Haaland was like really making a point of saying like this was look what he did, look how great it was. And I think it was maybe Haaland trying to show to the cameras that he's not this huge ego. Though he is a team player, you know. Despite all the hype about him, it's not all about him. So okay. I guess that was quite nice, really. Yeah, it was. I like. I like how you looked a little bit deeper into it there, Dan. That's good. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think Haaland had so much adrenaline going on that he didn't even know what he was doing. <laughs> but did you notice? I think he sort of. As if there was a crowd there, he pointed to Royce and was like, you know, he's the man. Yeah, so, yeah. Okay, yeah. That's quite nice. Okay, the second uh, goal celebration. Who saw this one? Oh, yeah, yeah, the one where he screamed at the goalkeeper. That was quite funny, wasn't it? Yeah. I, <laughs> I almost I, picked up a fight after that. So what exactly happened? The, the Bono, the unfortunately named uh, Porto goalkeeper, <laughs> uh, Sevilla goalkeeper, uh, he said something to Haaland, was it, after the, after the penalty? The first well, penalty? Think, yeah, because he, he, so he's off his line for the first one, wasn't he? And it was retaken. And um, Harland in his interview afterwards, he used the word cheated to describe what he did, which I don't think it was cheating, really. Like, you know, goalkeepers sometimes accidentally come off the line a little bit. But um, I think he he was doing a bit of sledging, yeah, and trying to put Harland off the second one. And then Harland sort of shouted in his face after he finally scored. And then I thought the Sevilla players going over to, like, you know, <laughs> was a bit like, come on, lads. Like, what do you expect? Like, yeah. Well, I actually enjoyed that part because uh, with fewer fans, we get to see fewer uh, fisticuffs because players just yeah. don't seem as royal these days. So I quite enjoyed, <laughs> I quite enjoyed that. Uh, but you guys didn't know what he said. You didn't read this thread on Twitter. Oh, no. What did he say? Oh, so apparently there's this, um, the Sevilla trainer or the former trainer or something like that had an experience in Argentina where there was a guy that he would attend the Estudiante matches and every time that he would attend, Estudiantes would lose. So he kind of uh, embraced this fan to make sure to jeez the other team, you know, to jinx the other team, to oh. to give bad luck to the other team. So he actually screamed the name of the guy because this guy became a little bit of a, you know, a, a figure, like people talk about it, and it became a, a bit of a myth. So apparently the Sevilla goalkeeper, he screamed the name of the guy at Haaland before Haaland took the penalty to jinx him. <laughs> and it didn't work. And Haaland was actually asked, like, what did you yell? And he said, I 
don't know. I just yelled the same thing he yelled back at me ah. <laughs> that he had yelled at me before. <laughs> so he just yelled back the same thing. He doesn't know what it was. And then I read this thread on Twitter saying that it was the name of this fan in Argentina that became synonym of bad luck to the adversary. Wow. wow. Well, there you go. And it was a very weird name. I can find the, th the thread again on Twitter to give it to you guys, but I can't remember the word. It's a very weird name. Okay. Um, any other points we want to raise from this game other than the goal celebrations being the most interesting thing? I thought Jude Bellingham was excellent here. I thought mm. he really sort of announced himself on the world set stage. I think there's, there's probably a potential outside shot for him for England's Euro squads now. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I, that good? I would say he might. Yeah, he might be. He might be. He might be getting towards that plane. And um, I read that he also, like someone who was sort of watching the game, could could hear like quite a lot of stuff that was going on in the stadium. And apparently, he was calling one of the Spheres players soft as shit at one point. <laughs> which you know, for a seventeen-year-old lad, it shows he's kind of no shrinking violet on this uh, on the big stage, does it? So good, good, good luck to him. <laughs> I love the level of insults that come with the yeah. football. So uh, Sunday league, isn't it? It yeah. is, isn't it? Um, <laughs> We asked how far Porto can go, uh, but how far can BVB go? Anybody? Well, they're a better team than Porto, and okay. they have been doing better in European competitions lately. Mm -hmm. And they do have Haaland. So, I mean, I think you can expect anything from Haaland at this point. Like, we've seen what he's capable of doing, and he can make a difference. So, I think they can, they have the potential to go further, but I'm not sure how far. Dan? Yeah, well, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, Julian Lopetegui said that Sevilla were the better team in three of the four halves of this side. I think I think I actually agree with him. I think Harlem really carried Dortmund through it for most for the most part, and I'm not sure how lo how much longer he can do that. But I mean, he's so good, isn't he? That who who knows really? So so good. Mm. Uh, elsewhere, uh, Liverpool are back. Tweeted Gary Lineker. <laughs> Seems a <laughs> uh, you're laughing, Joanna, which would which would which would make me suspect you don't agree with him. Not really. I mean, I didn't really watch the match, the whole match yesterday, the Liverpool one. I just saw the highlights. But the first match, they kind of won by accident, right? <laughs> <laughs> so then the second match, you know, they had this two new uh, in the pocket, so they really didn't try that hard, and. I don't think that's the Liverpool we're expecting. We haven't seen the Liverpool we're expecting yet. Okay, Dan, did you see much of this one? Uh, yeah, I saw most of it. Yeah, I mean, people oh. were people were saying after the first leg that they were back, and then they went and lost three of the next four games. So, I mean, <laughs> they've got. I mean, it was a very encouraging performance for them in lots of ways. Don't get me wrong, but they've got some tricky fixtures coming up in the league. They've got Wolves, Arsenal. Um, I think my, oh, I can't remember who else, but. Um, I would I would sort of read more into into how they get on in those games I think than this one. Okay, uh, Liverpool have now scored more uh, home goals at the Puskas Arena than they have at Anfield in 2021. It's quite yeah. nice. Um, I from from what I saw, Dan, much of last night's win was down to Fabinho being back in midfield. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was just before we we came on. I was reading uh, Jonathan Liu's piece in the Guardian, and he described Fabinho as a man standing at a vending machine with an endless supply of coins, which I thought was a very <laughs> nice image. <laughs> but yeah, he's he's so, he's so good at that screening role, at like breaking up opposition passes, distributing the ball well. I think he he made it really difficult for Leipzig to play out from the back, and they were they were knocking it long a lot and losing losing possession that way. And I think Fabinho, Thiago, and Vinaldum is a very balanced midfield three. There, you've you've got a bit, you've got steel, you've got someone to do the running, and 
you've got um, creativity from Thiago as well. So I think that's got to be the way forward for Liverpool in, in the coming weeks. And, and I think that the penny is maybe dropped with Klopp now that he has to trust Kabat and Nat Phillips to play together and, and get Fabinho in midfield. I mean, there's nothing to lose now, really. They're, they're probably not going to get top four in the Premier League. Um, they're probably going to put all the eggs in the Champions League basket at some point. And, and both those defenders are really good. You know, they won everything in the air, were really tidy. So um, that's got to be the, the sort of formula now, I think, going forward. I, I thought they were both quite good last night, I have to say. Mm. Um, the, um, Fabinho, he, he reads the game so beautifully. Uh, is he well rated back in Brazil, Joana? Yes, very much, very much. But he took a long time to get into the Brazilian national team. He was playing really, really well in Monaco. And I think the Brazilian media was asking it a lot. Also because he's very versatile. He plays defensive. He started in the right back. So he can play midfield, right back, center back. And like Dan said, he's a very complete midfielder defensively and also, you know, distributing the ball. So he is very well rated in Brazil. But I think that he... He wasn't so well rated with the Brazilian national team coach, but I got I think he got his place now. Okay, of course started off in Fluminense. Not that, yes, I'm, not that I'm trying to brag or anything like and that. And he but, was you know. sold by like two pennies or something like that. Oh uh, yeah, I don't think he actually even, I'm not even sure if he ever got a game for Fluminense. <laughs> um, uh, so struggling domestically, a Champions League final in Istanbul. Hey, name on the trophy for Liverpool. <laughs> we all agreed on that one, yeah? <laughs> well, stranger things have happened, you know. Stranger things have happened. Oh, I did want to mention yeah. that Thiago Scissors kick. Uh, if he had found Salah, that might have been the best assist since Kaká in that 2005 final. It was, it was quite nice, nice wasn't, it? wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, do you remember on the last time I was on this podcast, we were talking about the difference between bicycle kicks and scissor kicks. Mm. So now we have a clear definition. However, Jonathan Liu described it as a taekwondo kick in his report. <laughs> like we need to, we need, mm, need to call a moratorium on the terminology. Like we need to agree on things gonna, and just stop gonna, there. We're gonna, we need a style guide. <laughs> Totally, yeah. the taekwondo kicks are for Ibrahimovic. Well, see, a taekwondo kick for me would be that kick, that goal that Ibrahimovic scored for Inter, where Adriano set him up. And this is years and years ago. Do you remember? Yes, do you remember yes. this one where he sort that's, of that's he sort one. of roundhouse kicked it into the top corner? Do you remember that one? Well, that's I a roundhouse who, kick, isn't it? You just is that not the same as a taekwondo <laughs> kick? <laughs> I'm not a martial arts expert, unfortunately. You might you might think I am, but I'm yeah. Not, yeah, it's it's one of your many failings, Dan. Your <laughs> lack of martial arts expertise. Uh, did you want to mention anything else from this game? Uh, well, I was looking actually, and today is the anniversary of Liverpool being knocked out of the Champions League by Atletico Madrid last season, uh, exactly one year on, and that they're playing in an empty stadium in Budapest with "You'll Never Walk Alone" being played over the loop on a PA, which is just yeah. like a summary of kind of the bizarre place that we're in at this moment in time, isn't it? And a game that never should have gone ahead. Let's let's always reiterate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Saying that it did, but yeah, uh, maybe Liverpool should move all the home games to the Piscas Arena. <laughs> <now. Yes. laughs> it's, it's not the worst idea, given. How they're playing no. <laughs> um, uh, finally Joanna PSG didn't fuck it up no they didn't so you know well done them yeah uh, do they have Dembele to thank for that <laughs> a little bit yeah uh, I mean I have to say that this was one of the best uh, matches I've seen Dembele do in Barcelona but then at the same time he lost all the goals <laughs> <laughs> he created great opportunities and gave, gave great shots but also Navas was in a very inspired day so uh, it wasn't so such a big fall on Dembele I guess but when Barcelona came in the pitch in first 10-15 minutes of the match I knew the remontada wasn't going to happen you could see Barcelona very 
unenthusiastic, you know, and you when you read when you need three goals to go ahead, you usually at least score one in the beginning of the match because you start with such a, you know, power of will and then at some point you might lose the the pace but i didn't see that coming from barcelona had you thought the the comeback possible before the game before no also no no but i think i was the only person in my you know group of friends thinking that everyone was saying no you know remember barcelona remember barcelona against psg and against this and that and and Bayern munich and whatever and i was like Mm, I don't think so because I don't think they have the leadership in the pitch in the squad to make that happen or the you know the will the willingness they didn't really seem thirsty enough for that or the Neymar or the Neymar (laughs) exactly Uh, what noise did you make when that Leo Messi goal went in Oh, I just yelled really. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. And then some Brazilian cursing or something. Yeah. That was beautiful. That was pretty good. Pretty, pretty special. <laughs> and uh, if that goal didn't wake the team up to try the remontada, nothing else would. I thought maybe after this goal, they're going to wake up and they didn't. So I went for the oof with the sort of, you know, the handshake, to, the, the, the shaking of your hand to symbolize yeah. how hot it was. <laughs> uh, that's, that's how I went. Dan, I don't know if you had a different approach to the goal. I, I was very impressed with it, obviously, yeah. I thought, uh, Jack Pitbrook on Twitter from the, the Athletic summed it up really well. He was saying, you know, like that co- that sort of um, commentary cliche where they say, he hit that and it stayed hit. Mm. Well, he was like, this one, he hit it and then it got hitter. If anything, like it sped up <laughs> yeah. in the air. So you don't see that very often, do you? Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good. I, I got a little of uh, Roberto Carlos feelings there, didn't yes. you? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a Roberto totally. Carlos free kick, right? Roberto <laughs> Carlos. You can never get away without cramming uh, him into a podcast. Um <laughs> From a PSG perspective, Joanna Navas started the show, although Marquinhos was quite good too. I was about to say that. I think you have to split it between the men of the match between Navas and Marquinhos because they were both on fire yesterday. And and Marquinhos, I think even a little bit more because he's the leader of the team. He's the captain and he was like pushing them forward and pushing the, the defense back together. While Navas, of course, being a goalkeeper, he can't really go up onto the, the attack and say, hey guys, let's do this. So I think a little bit more on Marquinhos' side than on Navas, but they were both amazing. Okay. Um, and he had that lovely block on on Messi too, I think, exactly. that, was, I think that was Marquinhos. Um, we we had a, a short discussion earlier about this, uh, Dan. You weren't involved. It was myself and Joanna uh, about Navas and uh, where he stands in the pantheon of great goalkeepers right now. Yeah. How do you, how do you feel about it? Well I, well, I was thinking about this. Yeah, so I'd say Neuer, Oblak, Allison, Terstegen definitely better than him. Maybe Edison and Courtois are sort of on his level, maybe better. I mean, aside from that, I'm struggling to think of anyone else. So oh. he's definitely he's definitely in the conversation, very high up the list. I don't, I wouldn't say he's top ten. Yeah, t- top six probably at and, least. And who's your number one? Neuer, Joanna. Neuer. It's not Terstegen. No. Nah. Really? I, not. Neuer had a bad uh, moment after he broke his foot in a Champions League match against Real Madrid. And then the next season, it took him a long time to come back. He came back. Then, you know, the, the same injury woke up and then he was again almost the whole season out you remember that there was a season where Bayern uh, mm-hmm. was had Ulreich on the goal and they lost mm-hmm. the Champions League spot because of him a little and I, but after last season he woke up from the dead and he woke up in his best shape <laughs> I, I, again just I just want to confirm this you're going Neuer ahead of Ter Stegen right yes I am 
Okay. Definitely, yeah. Maybe Oblak is the only one who comes like really close is, to, to, to Neuer for me, yeah. Oblak is, is decent too. Um, did we just witness Leo Messi's last ever Champions League game for Barcelona? I think he'll stay now. I think he's he's very happy about the um, Joan Laporta uh, presidency, isn't he? He was a big supporter of his. And I think probably the moment passed for him to, to leave Barcelona last season. Um, I, I could totally understand why he wanted to go because he, he hated uh, Bartomeu and all that. But I feel like now, like why not just finish your career with Barcelona or, or play a couple more years with Barcelona and then go and link up with uh, big Phil Neville in <laughs> Miami. Miami. Yeah. I just, I just think it would be, be stupid of him now to sort of end his Barcelona career in these circumstances, you know, with, with no supporters there to, to see him off and stuff. I think he, he will probably stay. And I, and I don't really think, you know, clubs are perhaps going to be willing to pay the money that he wants for, you know, a 34-year-old, despite the fact that he's still amazing. I think it's just like, you know, as a Man City fan, if you ask me, would I rather we went for Messi or Haaland this summer? I would say Haaland, definitely. So, What about a swap deal for Sergio Aguero? See, I think Sergio Aguero wants to play with Messi. So I think what's probably more likely to happen is that Sergio Aguero goes to Barcelona and plays with Messi. Oh, um, City, sign okay. another striker, whether that be Haaland, Lukaku, or I don't know, someone. Okay. Uh, for the first time since 2004-2005, Ronaldo and Messi haven't reached the Champions League quarterfinals. It's sad, isn't it? The end yeah. of an era. The end of an era. And the start of a new one. <laughs> exactly. Haaland and Mbappe, isn't it? They're the, they're the future. Exactly. I actually had this topic to, to kind of bring up. I, I mentioned oh, yeah. this for our Brazilian podcast because... You know, for years, we've been seeing the football world being dominated by Messi and Ronaldo and this, you know, bipolar environment. And everything stands, revolves against them. And, you know, Neymar came in to be the third guy, the guy that was going to take the crown away from the two of them, you know, and be the, the, the transition to the next generation, the new best thing. And I think we've skipped Neymar and we've gone straight to Holland and Mbappé because we don't speak about Neymar anymore. And it's just going straight to Holland and Mbappé. And I hope that it doesn't stay the last 10 years between the two of them. I hope, you know, other great talents come along and we can speak about more great players. But I think we've just pretty much confirmed that we've skipped Neymar. <laughs> you know, he missed his chance. Dan, Dan would go for Holland at Man City if uh, Flamengo won the lottery and you had a choice between Mbappé and Holland. Who would you go for? Oh, Holland! Yes, because I think he is—he still has more to develop, and I think he's a better finisher than Mbappe. So I don't know. I'm—I'm very impressed by Holland at the moment. This is an amazing week Mm. for him, and I think I'm under the—the effect, the Holland effect. The Holland effect. any other talking points you want to raise from this game or just any sort of things you want to mention at all? Do you know that uh, I, I saw that um, Lionel Messi's career penalty conversion rate is just 78%. No, he's terrible that seems, at them. That yeah. seems really low, doesn't it, for him? Mm, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. No, he's uh, he's he's been pretty poor at penalties for quite some time, I think. Yeah. I mean, I say that, 78% still. <laughs> you know. and, and the penalty that PSG got was a joke in this game, I thought. Yes, but there you go. Really yeah, well, <laughs> not as much of a joke as the penalty Man City didn't get against Southampton on Wednesday night. But let's not talk about that because I'll just get really angry. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. for the Premier League podcast. That's for the, yeah, yeah. Keep, keep that to your Premier League podcast. Don't be, don't be polluting this one. <laughs> okay, that it. Think so, Joanna. Um, well, I hope that you know Neymar fits in the team when he's back. Apparently, oh. he's going to be back this week or this weekend for the the league on. And that PSG uh, plays, uh, 
you know, strengthen themselves as a title contender as they kind of threatened a little bit last season, but, you know, they lost track a little bit on the final. It wasn't the final you were expecting from PSG. So I, I really hope that they confirm themselves as a Champions League title contender with the football that they can play. But I'm not so confident. No, I wouldn't be either. <laughs> okay, thanks very much, you two. Thank you. Thank you. Now, we had no podcast last week, which means there's a lot to catch up on this week. And we're focusing on what has been a busy, busy few days for La Liga. Luckily for us, Manu Dominguez knows everything there is to know about all of this. Uh, so I guess you're ready to go, Manu? I'm ready to go, Ian. Thank you so much for the invitation. Um, let's start off with the, the big question. Following the 1-1 draw in the Madrid Derby, are the wheels starting to fall off Atletico's title bid? Wow, actually, it's a good question. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. I mean, actually, what it's really, what it's real is that the first, the, the the first part of the season for Atlético de Madrid was actually unreal because they got like fifty points from fifty seven. Only they got, they conceded only ten goals in nineteen matches. So actually, there was a kind of level that everyone could knew that they were not going to able to keep, you know, because mm-hmm. we were talking about one La Liga with 100 points. So it was one of the first part of the seasons that we have ever seen in, in La Liga's history. I, I would say, I would think, I would say that this is the fourth one after three Guardiola's La Liga. Okay. So, yeah, actually in the six matches that we have already played in the second part of the season, Atletico de Madrid has already dropped nine, nine points. So two points more than what they dropped in the first 19 matches. So I don't know if actually they are... The wheels are failing for Atletico de Madrid in the title title bid. I think that right now Atletico de Madrid is showing that it's... no an unbeatable team and they could drop points against everyone and we will see because they have an interesting matches uh, today against Atleti de Bilbao mm, we should say we're recording this on, on Wednesday uh, ahead of uh, ahead of their game um, so you say it's, it's Bilbao this week right? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's an important an important match because it's a big game. It's gonna, a very big it's, game. Mm. Yeah, it's a very big game against Athletic Club with Marcelino. Since Marcelino arrived to Athletic Club, everyone has seen that Athletic has won the Super Cup against Barcelona. Not only that, even Atleti Bilbao, they are in the next Copa del Rey final against Barcelona too. They have to play the Copa del Rey final from last last year as well. So it's like one of the biggest teams right now in in, in Spain with a new coach that. In my in my in my opinion, probably with Simeone is the best coach that we have in La Liga. Oh, so it's not even like uh, it's not even going to be a, a, a walkover or anything for Atletico. It's you know, there's more potential for them to drop points here. Yeah, it could be. Actually, they play in, in Madrid. They play in Wanda Metropolitano, but um. since we don't have fans, you know, every match is is really open. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we are talking about one team like Atleti de Bilbao with players like Iñaki Williams, Muniain, or for example, Villalibre, who is doing an, a really good performance this season. So I think that it's the match is quite open. Atletico Madrid played against Real Madrid last weekend, so probably they are not well rested. And yeah, we will see. I think that if Atletico Madrid drop points today, it could mean that Barcelona was going to be three points or four points behind, and actually three points or four, four points behind. With Atletico de Madrid need to visit Camp Nou, I think it's in in six match days. I think that everything can happen. That's pretty exciting, isn't it? 
Yeah, it is. It is actually who was going to say that? You know, only two months ago when Barcelona was, I think, like nine points or or eleven points behind Atlético de Madrid. But Barcelona is has done an amazing job since the year start, and and yeah, they, now they are getting their the value. Yeah, uh, yeah. Let, let's get to Barcelona in a second. It's just sticking with Atleti. Um, we we say the wheels haven't really fallen off. Does it? Does it feel like a lot of things are going wrong, or a lot of things need to be fixed, or is it just that they're sort of? It's just leveling out a little bit more at the moment. I think that in the first part of the season they were saving so many, let us say, match balls because Luis Suarez was scoring almost everything that he had. I think that he scored like 14 goals from 20 shots in the first in, in the in the first part of the season. So the numbers were impressive. And also Atletico Madrid was being very good in defense. That is actually that we get used to with Simeone. Mm. But what did happen in the last in, in the last match days? As is Atletico Madrid is conceding a lot of goals. They are not so safe in, in the defense. Felipe is not performing well, even Jimenez is not playing, Hermoso is not in that really good shape that for example he was in November, December. And actually, you know, when Simeone doesn't show his potential in defense, Atletico de Madrid suffers because, you know, they were winning matches probably 1-0, 0-1 with a Suarez goal or one corner kick mm. goal. But now if you are conceding goals, actually you need to score at least twice if you want to get the three points. And and a, a classic example of this was the Madrid derby at the weekend where they were 1-0 up early from, from Suarez, I think it was about 15 minutes in. They failed to convert quite a few chances and then two minutes from time, up pops Karim Benzema, right? Yeah, and I think that if the match had gone maybe 10, 10, 10 minutes, 10 or 15 minutes longer, probably Madrid could could have won the match because Atletico Madrid started perfectly. The first, let us say, 60 minutes from Atletico Madrid were really good ones mm. in, in compared with, for example, how Simeone prepared the game against Chelsea. Atletico Madrid was very offensive, was doing a really high pressure and Real Madrid didn't have any chance to really move the ball. But then in the last 30 minutes, Atletico fell down. I mean, I think physically they were like really less strong than Real Madrid. Mm-hmm. And actually Modric, Cross, and especially Casemiro start to understand the game. And Benzema had, had scored the goal, but even he had like a very good chance before. So Real Madrid had options to, to even win the game. Modric, Casemiro and Benzema I mean <laughs> they're, they're always going for a line on them there was an, uh, an interesting thing about a handball in that game wasn't there? Yeah was it actually Maybe for those who didn't explain it Manu you could just uh, give them a quick rundown on what happened or who didn't see it Yeah there was a, a lateral ball from I think it was a corner kick or a free kick and suddenly the ball just getting Felipe's hand and actually it's the same question in the last three four months what is consider it a handball in, in, in the area that it should give a penalty because I think it's not something that it's not only happening in Spain that of course we are having this problem with the VER because know the supporters know the players even know the referees they know when is when that handball should be considered a penalty and when that handball not but even it happens in it is happening in Premier League as well isn't it? Mm, yeah all the time Yep. Just the, the big, other day, big questions it, over it, yeah. yeah, just Mikel Arteta was like really upset in the press conference because there was a handball in the match, I think, Burnley against Arsenal. And in Spain, it's happening the same. I remember five, ten years ago, everyone knew when a handball was penalty or was not penalty. It, it depended on where the position of the hand was or if, for example, the ball touched first another part of the body. Mm-hmm. But now, every week is changing. And actually, what they are doing is like 
confu- confuse everyone around them. And it's thing that, something that it shouldn't happen because it's, let us say, dirtying a little bit the game. Mm, no, it is. I'm, I'm confused. I don't know where it stands at all anymore. Uh, yeah, that's why I would like to tell you. Yeah, I think that Philippe's hand was penalty, one hundred percent. But actually, I have no idea because <laughs> every week they are changing. So. <laughs> uh, if uh, if Atleti had won, they'd have an eight point lead over Madrid, a five point lead over Barcelona. Instead, it's three over Barca, five over Madrid. Uh, there's a lot of pressure comes with that. Uh, do you think they're going to be able to cope with it? I would say yes, because I think that Atletico de Madrid is not this kind of team that it's for one or two seasons just fighting for La Liga. At the end, Simeone, it's going to be, our, I guess, it's his ninth, eighth or ninth year in Atletico de Madrid. So they are actually playing for this big, playing for the race of La Liga for, for a long time. So I think that they are going to be able to cope with. The main thing is like, okay, that's true. Actually, my lovely colleague Alejandro, he always say Atletico de Madrid is always going to be Atletico de Madrid. So they used to have these issues when everything is like easy for them. They should complicate themselves. So that it's going to be very important what happens today, because if today they are able to win against against Atletic Club, it's going to be six points over Barca, eight points over Real Madrid. They had already played against Real Madrid, only let us say one big and tough match in, in Camp Nou mm. but if they don't win today only four points and six points over Real Madrid maybe it's, it's, not, it's not enough especially thinking that Barcelona probably is going to be out of the race in the Champions League so they are going to focus only in, in La Liga because even in Copa del Rey they have already played all of their matches they only have to wait till the Copa del Rey final mm. Given the state of the three clubs in the title race who would you say is your favourite from this point? Yeah, I would go for for Atlético de Madrid because it's the easiest, the easiest, the easiest answer. At okay. the end, if they win today, it's six points over Barça and eight over Real, and I think it's it's enough distance. But and, actually, if they do, and if they don't win today, who would you go for? You know, I would like to go for Barcelona, but because I like Barcelona, you know, I I used to be like really pessimistic with the future of of, of my favorite team. But that's true. Barcelona <laughs> is playing well. Barcelona is playing amazingly, and finally you have Messi, you have Ter Stegen, which actually is. You know, in your goal is, is a kind of second Messi. Mm-hmm. And I hope that Araujo is going to be soon with the team. We will see what happens with, with Gerard Piquet and Ansu Fati. But, you know, uh, Barcelona ha- having to play against Atletico de Madrid at home, it could be like a really good chance. But also we have to remember that Barcelona has to go to Valdebebas to play in second Real Madrid. So probably the, the team with the most difficult calendar is, is the Cummins one. It is amazing giving everything that has gone on at Barcelona this season and how awful they've looked at, at times and how terrible they've, they you know they they were beaten by PSG and yet there they are still in the title race with a let's say a relatively decent chance of doing it it's quite amazing really yeah, actually, it says a lot about how is the level of the Spanish football. I think that we have talked. Oh, this about is, yeah, this that, is your favorite. Of, this is your favorite of, subject these days. Yeah, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, but yeah, actually, Real Madrid is not playing well. Um, but if we see like the numbers, I think Barcelona has won 15 from the last 16 matches in the Liga, which mm. actually is impressive. That's not bad. Not bad at all. Uh, they also have a new stroke old president in Juan Laporta. Um, for those who don't know too much about him, maybe you could just uh, give us a bit of background, Manu. Wow. For those ones who doesn't know Juan Laporta, just I have to say one thing is 
Best Barcelona in the History, Barcelo eh, mm. Pep Guardiola, Lionel Messi, six titles. Finally, Joan Laporta was actually the one who, who managed that, the one who created that team, because in that season, 2018, summer 2018, summer, so, sorry, some, summer 2008, he was the one who bet for Guardiola when Rijkaard left the team. So, everyone, Oh, that's interesting, yeah. They were like... Two big, two big heads in the board of directors of Barcelona. One mm -hmm. was Joan Laporta, the other one was Sandro Rossell. Sandro Rossell was actually, he, he preferred to, to, bet, to go for, for Jose Mourinho uh, after his, his, his time in, in London, in Chelsea. But Joan Laporta says, let us go with, with Guardiola because Johan Cruyff recommended him. And everything started. So Barcelona fans are, you know, the best members that they have. They are with Guardiola and actually with Joan Laporta as president. So I think that even that was the fact that allowed to Joan Laporta to win again one elections. Actually, let us say, 11 or 12 years after. Because mm -hmm. Joan Laporta, during his campaign, he was trying to to bring back these remembers, okay? We create the best Barcelona in the history. We were the ones who built the best Barcelona in the history that now it's actually really far away from that. So let us do it again because we are able to do it. And, and that's, actually, a powerful, that's a powerful message right there to Barcelona fans. Yeah, actually, probably he didn't have the best project because Victor Fong, who was an other of the candidates, he had like a really powerful project that he was working on it for two or three years. Mm -hmm. And John Laporta... At the beginning, he didn't want even to take part of the elections, but then he, he found the gap and said, why not? I'm going to do it now with no project at all, but only with this message, because I think that I'm enough charismatic to do it. And he won with a 50, 53 or 55% of the of the votes. I, I think it's the, the, the most voted president in Barcelona's history. So actually, I mean, he didn't have a rival during the elections. Uh, and one of those votes was from Leo Messi. And that's, probably to him. That's interesting, isn't it? That Leo Messi voted. Because that's the first time, if I'm not wrong, that's the first time he's voted, right? In, in these elections. Yeah, it's the first time. And actually, in my opinion, was the image of the day. Okay, yeah, of course, oh, La, yeah, yeah, yeah. Laporta won. That's true. But actually, we are talking about a player who is who theoretically is going to leave. He's going to leave in three months. So if you really... Are gonna, if you really are going to leave and you don't care about the team and you don't care about the future, why do you leave your place just to go vote around all of the photographs, around all of the journalists? I think that there is like a, a really big message there. It's like, okay, I care about the team. I care about the future. I would like to stay here if, if everything fits with me and that's why I'm going to vote and I want to and my intention is to decide who is going to be my president. And actually, everyone knows that that Lionel Messi and Jorge Messi, his father, has a very good relationship with Joan Laporta. Joan Laporta admit after the elections that Messi had already called him and congratulated him for, for winning the election. So let us say that maybe after this election, Messi is a little bit closer to, to stay in Barcelona. Mm. So that's, that's, I was going to ask you about the first items on his to-do list, but I guess the first item is just pinning down Messi and making sure that he doesn't leave the club. Yeah, Laporta said after, after the elections, he just said, okay, the night is long. Maybe I'm going to call Jorge Messi even today just to speak <laughs> about Messi. Probably he didn't yet, you know, Barcelona has to, to, to remind focus on, on Champions League and, and PSG. But of course, I mean, not only what... Lionel Messi means in terms of what he does on the pitch, but also what he means for Barcelona off the pitch. Right, right now, Joan Laporta, the, the first thing that they have to do is recuperate economically the team. Mm -hmm. And actually, you have to negotiate like 
really important sponsorship contracts and it's not the same to negotiate that when you have a Lionel Messi behind you that when you don't have Lionel Messi behind you because probably the biggest companies in the world they're going to pay you half of the price if Lionel Messi doesn't wear your t-shirt anymore. Mm, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of money. Um, what does his presidency mean for Ronald Koeman? I imagine Koeman's there for the end of the season and then he reevaluates it then. But um... yeah, I think that Koeman is doing a good job especially because it was not easy for him. He arrives with no striker. He had to sell Suarez with all of this messy conflict around. You know, actually, the, the squad didn't look like that they were going to be able to cope with, to, to compete with the titles. And what he did is he really bet for the young players, people like Pedri, like he likes Moriba, like Ricky Puch, like Trincao, uh, even Ronald Araujo. So he had actually show that he's able to bring players from the academy, what is what we were demanding to Kike Setien or, or Ernesto Valverde. And at the same time, Barcelona is competing for the titles. They are going to play the Champions League, the Copa del Rey final against against Bilbao. And even, I don't know, I, I don't know, but long time ago, I didn't remember one Barcelona with this spirit, able to win the matches in, in the last minutes. Okay, we are losing, but we are fighting for to, to try to, to, to do the comeback. It's something that long, long time ago, I didn't, I didn't remember it in Barcelona and Kuman did it. So I think that he deserves to stay longer, especially because even Messi, it seems that he fit with him. And actually, it's very hard to find a coach that actually fits with Messi. So we will see what is going to happen because, if, for example, Barcelona loses today like 6-0 and they, they lose the Copa del Rey final, it's going to be hard that Kuman stays one year, uh, the next year. But from the beginning of the season till now, I think that Kuman has, has done a very good job. And in my opinion, Laporta should give him the opportunity to continue next the next season. A very good job. And I don't think anybody maybe expected that from him. No, because he wasn't me. the most exciting appointment, let's say. Well, at least not me. I remember him, his, his period in Valencia or Southampton, Everton. Oh, Valencia. Yeah. God, yeah I forgot he, he was there. Yeah, in Valencia, he won a Copa del Rey, actually. He won a Copa del Rey, but he had a very big war, a civil war in the team. Yeah. I don't know, our our listeners, maybe they don't remember that because it was maybe 13 years ago. It was a, it was a long time ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he arrived in Juan Valencia with so many important and veteran players in the squad, like David Albelda, Ruben Baraja, Canizares, Joaquin Sanchez, for example. And Kuman decided to leave all of them apart. He says, okay, I don't want you. I just want to play with young people. And for example, he was the one who bet for Juan Mata. Juan Mata was not playing at all in Valencia with oh. 17 years old. And Ronald Kuman says, okay, you are going to play with me. Uh, uh, Valencia, it is true that almost get relegated because they finished 15th or 14th. Yeah, 15th. They were, ter they were terrible in the league that season. I think they were terrible in the Champions League too that yeah. season. Yeah. But at the end, they won the Copa, so it's it's a title as well, a trophy. And I think that it changed a little bit everything. You know, finally, when you have like a very good period with all players, there is necessarily someone who make this, in Spain, we used to say, es Olympia, you know, like to clean the, the, the dressing room. Mm. Yeah. And he did it in Valencia. And actually, it was the, his mission when he... He was brought to Barcelona to clean a little bit the dressing room. Rakitic is out, Arturo Vidal is out, Luis Suarez is out. Probably they were not guilty, but you need this fresh air. And this fresh air uh, had come with, num with names like Ronald Araujo, Pedri, you know, Frankie de Jong is, has improved a lot with Ronald Koeman. What to, what to say about Osman Dembélé? It's completely different Osman Dembélé, the well, one that's a, we that's are watching this yeah. season, that's amazing. the one that we, we saw in the last season. So at the end, we should... Congrats, Kuman, what, what what he did because he's not only bringing new players, also he's 
getting the best level for other players that they were not doing before. Uh, you mentioned him already, but talk to us a little bit about uh, Elex Moriba and how good he can be. Yeah, he's quite similar, at least when you see him on the pitch and, and you have even not seen him before to touch the ball and so on, to Paul Popa. Everyone in Barcelona talks about, yeah, it's our new, our Popa, it's going to be our Paul Popa. I don't think, I don't know if it's like a really good compare because right now Popa is not having like a very good times in, in, in Premier League, but it's this kind of midfield. It's a, physically, he's a beast, he's big, he's uh, fast, he he has a very big pace, but also technically with the ball, he's, he, he, he he do it properly. And actually, you know, the other day he was like his first goal with Barcelona, he scored in, in Sadar, which actually was the first stadium where Ansu Fati scores as well, his first goal with Barcelona, so it's kind of really peculiar history around the, the, the Osasuna stadium for, for the Barcelona young players. And he just say after the match, actually, it's gonna day that I'm not gonna never forget, and it's what we were demanding as so the, the Barcelona supporters. They were demanding this kind of things, like to have players from the academy who f- actually feel the colors, feel the team, and their dream is to to play alongside Messi and to score goals for 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 Barcelona. I think that we are tired of bringing Andre Gomez, bringing uh, Prince Botens, Murillo, and all of these players that mm-hmm. they were not giving us anything. For that cases, we prefer. 17, 18, 19 players from the, from the second team that at least they are, we know that they are not going to give up and they are going to try to do their best for the team. That's what you want. I mean, that's, uh, you know, so so entrenched in Barca's DNA. It just, it makes complete sense. Um, any other talking points from La Liga that we need to know about, Manu? Yeah, actually, I have one. Actually, oh, yeah. I have one, especially because, yeah, we're, most of our users, they, are, they used to follow the Premier League. Mm. And I would like to mention the really good job that he's doing during this 2021 Manuel Pellegrini in Betis. They oh, had, yeah. They had won, I think, six from the last seventh matches. And they are right now sixth. They played this weekend against Sevilla. It's the, the derby in, in the city with Sevilla that actually is not having their best moment. And a lot of people there... St- starting to think that maybe Betis is going to be able to reach this fourth position. If, if they win against Sevilla, imagine Betis with Manuel Pellegrini playing Champions League again. It would be an, an amazing performance for Manuel Pellegrini that actually, in my opinion, he deserves because he's one of my favorite coaches. That would be nice to see, wouldn't it? You know, get a bit of get a bit of change, get Betis into the Champions League. Uh, and of course, they famously have... I'm going to say the best jersey in, in La Liga. Yeah, that green is is impressive. Yeah. Yeah, that green and white stripes is impressive. But it would be nice to it would be nice to see him do well because he, he comes across as quite a quite a decent bloke, I would say. Yeah, I hope we hope. We will see what happens on, on Saturday. It's actually Saturday on Sunday. I think it's on Sunday. I would recommend to all of the one football listeners just watch the match because you know Sevilla's derby is, is always interesting. Yeah, Sunday night, nine nine o'clock Central European time. Okay, great. Lovely. Thanks very much, Manu. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Ian. Okay, that's all from us today. My thanks to Manu, Joanna and Dan. I won't be back next week. Joanna will be here. In the meantime, should you miss us, you can listen to the back catalogue on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast hit. And if you want to get in touch, the address to do so is podcast.onefootball.com.